Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 410 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording this Tuesday afternoon. We actually, for for full transparency, we recently got off the phone with Jay Billis. Donald Wine is now able to join us, though. So we've we've subbed out Jay Billis. We have Donald Wine here. We are going to do our as, as close as we can do to a normal preview for Duke's upcoming Final Four matchup in New Orleans against the North Carolina Tar Heels. Did you know that Duke is playing UNC in the Final Four this weekend? I only just found out. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. As I said, Donald Wine is here, as is Jason Evans. Donald, where the heck are you, man? Um, I am on the other side of the world. Greetings to you all and to all of you out there from Doha, Qatar, where I am here. Uh, Normally, I would be going to the third and final, the very last World Cup qualifier, but I got selected to represent American soccer fans as part of a fan delegation that will be attending the FIFA World Cup draw on Friday night here in Doha. So I'm here seeing the sites. They've basically taken us to all the stadiums and and all the, you know, different things that uh, fans can experience during World Cup. And I'm kind of honored that I'm here to, here to do that, but it's also, uh, it's 1030 at night here. I'm sorry. It's 930 at night here. I have been up for about 72 of the last 78 hours uh, between going to games and flying to Doha and a full day's worth of activities here, but I'm ready to talk about some Duke basketball. Excellent. Excellent. Jason Evans, I believe is just at home. So I don't know, Jason, if you have, if you have any remarkable stories about, about global travel that you want to share with the people. No, no, not this. I've been to many different countries and, you know, Hey, we can do an episode someday about, uh, I've been to China. I've been to Russia. I've been to India. I've been, hopefully you haven't been to Russia in, in the last like month. No, I have not been to Russia in the last month. No, I went to Russia many, no. many years ago. But uh, uh, yeah, but I've got no great stories to tell at this time. I'm focused on going to New Orleans. I was going to say, uh, on the topic of travel, uh, Jason and I will be in New Orleans on Saturday. I am flying down. I, I don't know why I I took so long to, to figure out my travel arrangements. So I'm probably paying more than I should for uh, for the flights. But I'm flying to Atlanta on Friday, Jason and I are going to be driving down to New Orleans together on Saturday. So uh, I am, I believe, responsible for gas and snacks on, on Saturday morning. But we will be there in time to see Villanova play Kansas in the, in the first semifinal game. And, of course, we will be there to see Duke play North Carolina in the other semifinal game. And, and we have to thank Mike yes. Emmerich. Mike, uh, many folks know him, by the way, as Boswell from the DBR, from the Duke Basketball Report. Um, Mike Hemrick uh, is uh, is my new favorite Duke fan <laughs> because Mike is the one who has, who has helped Sam and I out with tickets. Um, he is uh, there's a Yiddish word. He's a mensch. He is just a good, good person. And Mike, thank you. Thank you so much. I got to tell you guys, it's it's kind of incredible the way uh, the Duke fandom, all the people out there who listen to this podcast have embraced the three of us. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Donald and I. A, a fan of the podcast let us go to the Duke UNC game in Cameron. Um, and now uh, Mike, you know, partially because he's a fan of the podcast is, is letting us, you know, tag along with him. It's, it's really incredible. And we can't thank all of you listeners enough for, for all that you do, you know, for enabling, street. for enabling our obsessions. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. No, I, I, I'm really glad that you guys are able to go. My best friends are trying to go down they're still looking for tickets. Um, so if there are any floating out there that aren't, 
you know, $750 to $1,000 a pop, then I think they would be interested. But uh, I'm hoping to get down. I'm, I'm not going to look past Saturday. So I'm not going to tell you my plans uh, about that. But I will not be able to attend on Saturday. I'll be coming back from Doha that day. But I am looking forward to watching it at D.C. and hope you guys get the win down there for us. Uh, by the way, I, I should note, um, we, we don't yet, Sam, I, I believe we don't have firm, like we know where we're staying kind of stuff. So if there's anybody listening who has an extra hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> we might be at a certain point, I think we might be pressing our luck, but yeah, Jason, exactly. Jason, 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 have you not learned from ghostblitty.com? Did you not learn how I got my $47 a night hotel at the Millennium Hotel? There's got to be something in New Orleans. It may be a Donald, less, Donald, it may be, you it must, may be more no. of a task. Donald, you must not be you must not be looking for accommodations. I can I can hear I can feel folks who are listening to this episode like nodding along when I say that if you didn't plan ahead for this weekend, if you're one of these people that's like superstitious, you're not going to plan for Final Four travel until Duke's actually in the Final Four. Uh, you are you are making sacrifices. Even you're staying the, in you're staying in Baton Rouge. Is what you're yeah, saying. you're you're staying far <laughs> away. You're trying to figure out like like is it is it like, do I need to take out the second mortgage this week so that I can attend this this truly, you know, once in a lifetime sporting event? Because just like just the way you you two felt going to that Duke UNC game a few weeks ago in Cameron, like nothing is going to be like this. You know, yeah. Duke has played in the final four before. Duke has played North Carolina before. They've certainly never done both in the same uh, on the same day. And and certainly are only going to get to do it once in Coach K's final year. So uh, there is there is an element of scarcity to to that end of the season game as there is for this game that that I think is is driving people completely insane. Uh, you know, I, I think all of us have stories of friends who are you know doing something crazy or whatever to try and get to this weekend and get to this game. My buddy Jonathan Gans, who who's a, a fan of the podcast, and, and he's he comments uh, about the podcast to me all the time. Jonathan, last July, like very shortly after Coach K announced his retirement, Jonathan like booked hotel room. He booked an airplane flight. He had it all planned out. He's like, we're going to New Orleans. I was like, dude, <laughs> I think you're a little looking a little ahead of things. He's like, nope, I know this is going to happen. So Jonathan is my one friend who is completely prepared for this weekend. Everyone else is scrambling. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it's insane. I've been texting with friends about what are you doing for this weekend? How you get the, the best part of it is that when people ask me, they're like, what's your plan for New Orleans? Not, are you going? Where are you watching the game or something? It's, it's like, okay, I know you're going to be there. So, so what's up? I know it's usually insane down there. Um, I'm just going to make a, a, a bold prediction. Stop me if you might have heard this. Bourbon Street will probably have likely its greatest, most profitable night on Saturday night, no matter who wins because you have four teams who will definitely be traveling in full force and will be partying all weekend long, no matter what. So yeah, if you yeah, think it's going to be a blast, if you think that this event uh, on a local level is just about Duke and Carolina, do not forget about the fact that Kansas and Villanova are two of, you know, the, the biggest programs in college basketball. They have huge fan bases that travel. They, you know, if, if Duke fans were confident going into the season that they were going to be in the final four, Kansas and Villanova fans were probably right there with them. Like they, they have all the talent. They're both they top have, five. Yeah. They got, they, they got everything. They got all the advantages that Duke has, Kansas has and, and, and Villanova has. So, so the, the, the culmination of all of that is just leading to that, that extra, that extra level for this final four. 
you know, I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but some, someone someplace tweeted about the fact that this is, this is like the ultimate blue blood final four. There are no upstarts here. These are four programs that, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it was um, the guys at 538. I remember listening to, to a couple of years ago, they were talking about college basketball and they said, hey, if you ask me to project the top 10, 10 years from now, you might think that's impossible to do. They're like, no, no, it's very easy. The top 10 is, is Duke and UNC and Kansas. You know, and they said, because these teams that are always good are always good. The, this tweet was saying, this is with Villanova, Kansas, Duke, and UNC, the ultimate blue bud final four. And then the person, whoever was tweeting said, how do you think Kentucky feels right now? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, uh, we, we, we don't have to spend too much time on Kentucky, guys. I want to talk about Carolina, and and we have already previewed the Tar Heels twice this season. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that folks who are listening to this podcast are not unfamiliar with the Tar Heels. But let's do just a very, very quick version of what we would usually do for, for a game preview. Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Tell me about Carolina's run through the tournament because Jay Billis – just told us on the most recent episode that if you had been asleep for all of college basketball season, woke up on the first day of March madness, and then watched all of those games, you would think that Duke was one of the best teams in the country. And what I, what I would respond to that is you might also think that UNC is one of the best teams in the country because they have had one of the best runs uh, through the NCAA tournament. Certainly one of the best runs we've ever seen from an eight seed. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, they've definitely been just, absolutely destroying people in this tournament. I mean, they started with Marquette. It was a blowout from basically the 10-minute mark of the first half against Marquette. They follow up by beating Baylor, the number one seed in the region. Couple that with UCLA, who was the Final Four team last year, and then the upstart St. Peter's taking care of business there. And they've looked great doing it. Uh, I have no harm and I have no qualms in saying that UNC has been one of the best teams in this NCAA tournament thus far. Having said that, I want to talk about two things that I think are going to be interesting nuggets to watch. One is rebounding. Go back to that game back on February 5th in Chapel Hill. Duke out-rebounded UNC in a game that was over from the moment go. we said go. It was, we won by 20, and a lot of it had to do with UNC missing shots and only getting one opportunity at getting baskets. Duke was very great at cleaning up the glass, going out and getting transition three-pointers and dumps and taking the crowd out of it. There's also this intangible pressure. This game, we know the implications of this. We know we're calling it Tobacco Road Armageddon, Apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. We know the pressure involved in this game, this particular game. But Duke has felt that pressure all tournament because every game they have approached in this NCAA tournament They've approached it as if it could be Coach K's last game. UNC has not experienced that yet. I want to see how UNC handles the pressure that Duke has had to experience. Of course, this is of a magnitude we've never seen before and we may never see again. But this particular game, the pressure, how guys handle it, we've seen how Duke has handled it throughout this tournament. Let's see how UNC handles it. And switching from the intangibles to the tangibles, Jason, can you can you come in here and tell us a, a little on a deeper level, you know, at, at UNC's run through the tournament, Donald talked you through those four huge wins that they had capped by the 
by the blowout of St. Peter's, uh, the, the, the bubble bursting on St. Peter's just, uh, just the other day on Sunday. Uh, what has what has improved for Carolina? Because we know going back <laughs> probably before that first uh, or before the second game that they played against Duke around the time of the first game, uh, that UNC team did not look like this current UNC team, which is uh, which is beating the pulp out of out of a lot of other good programs. Yeah, so I've got some remarkable stats I'm going to give you about how UNC has been playing lately versus how they're playing earlier in the year. And Sam, you specifically asked, what are they doing differently? They're playing great defense. And, and I, I think, folks, it, it's easy to overlook how good Carolina has been on defense lately. Uh, so I, I went and I checked uh, Bart Torvik's site, um, you know, the advanced metrics there, and you can sort them by date. Since March 1st, since March 1st, UNC is the best team in the country. I'm going to repeat that. Since March 1st, this past month, Bart Torvik says UNC's the best team in all of college basketball, and they've been doing it with defense. They've had the sixth best defense in all of college basketball over the past month. Since March 1st, Duke is only the 20th best team in college basketball. And if we just look at the NCAA tournament, and I know that's small numbers, it's only four games, but if we just look at the tournament, the past two weeks, Carolina is still the number one most efficient team in the country. They have the eighth best defense in the country. They're the fourth best offense in the country. Duke, over the past two weeks, is only the ninth best team in the NCAA tournament. I mean, there are teams that didn't make the Final Four that have been more efficient, better than Duke. Um, but we have the number one offense, the absolute best offense of anyone in the tournament. However, our defense is 45th. Uh, one huge key to this game is going to be whether or not the Duke defense is able to you know, present problems for the North Carolina offense. Because if you look at these two teams uh, you know, in Ken Pomeroy and the such, and, and, and the, you know, really break down all the statistics and the such Duke, Duke's offense is great, but our defense is absolutely not. We're number one in offense. We're number 45 in defense. And a couple things that I notice as I look at Duke versus UNC, this, I think this is going to be a game where you don't see a ton of turnovers. Both these teams are lousy, terrible among the worst teams in the country at forcing turnovers. Duke is 315th in the country at turnover percentage on defense. North Carolina is 349th. I mean, it, it sort of, it runs counter to anything you would imagine makes up a, a successful team, but these two teams are terrible at forcing turnovers. But what do they do well? Well, neither one of them foul. Duke is the second best team in the country in terms of how often they send their opponent to the free throw line. North Carolina is the seventh best team in the country at that. And both these teams are very, very efficient in terms of how they run their offense. They, they don't shoot a ton of three-pointers. Neither one of them do. When they shoot three-pointers, they shoot them you know, reasonably well. Uh, there's just a lot about these teams that, that is surprisingly similar. And uh, I, I, I feel like Duke is playing better than Carolina right now. But if Carolina is able to control this Duke offense – then, then this could be a difficult game for us. The, I think that's the biggest key to the game is this Carolina defense that has gotten so much better able to control the many, many weapons that Duke has been has put on display in recent weeks. Unlike Duke's recent games against Texas Tech and Arkansas, where we said that it was a, a contrast of styles, both Texas, Texas Tech and Arkansas have overwhelming defenses and only okay offenses. 
UNC and Duke are actually much more similar than they are alike in the, in the context of, of great college basketball teams this season. And, and you would not have heard me saying two months ago that UNC was a great team. They're a great team now. And they've whittled the rotation down. Jay Billis mentioned about how UNC is basically playing a five-man rotation. They, they, they sub in very few guys. Duke is, is close to that. Uh, Duke's basically in a six-man rotation now. Where, where Theo John's only getting spot minutes and it's just, you know, it's just Trevor Keels coming off the bench. But to your point, Jason, about teams that don't foul, neither of these teams foul very much. That allows their guys to, to stay on the court for a long time. They know how to get the, the open threes. Of course, uh, UNC's got Brady Manick. Um, Caleb Love can hit them. Um, Archie Davis can hit them. Duke's got A.J. Griffin, and, and he's starting to cook again after, um, after a little bit of a slump a few weeks ago. Uh, on the... On the rebounding front, Carolina's bringing Armando Baycott and, and Duke is bringing Mark Williams and, and Paulo Bancaro. So there, there are a lot more similarities here than there are differences um, when, you, when you sort of compare these teams. And that's, that's what's so interesting to me. Not the only thing, of course, the, the, there's all the narrative around the game, but it's so interesting to me that, that they're coming in with very similar uh, modes of play. Carolina's probably going to be doing more of the ball screens around the perimeter uh, and, and Duke's probably not going to be able to to deploy the zone defense as effectively because Brady Manick can shoot directly over a zone defense. He doesn't care if uh, if there are zone defenders in his way. So uh, it, it'll be it'll be curious to see how how Hubert Davis and, and Coach K are playing the chess match around each other, given how similar the two teams are. Sam, you mentioned rebounding, and, and I, I neglected to mention this when I was talking about advanced stats, but North Carolina is the second best defensive rebounding team in the country. Duke is simply not going to get second chance shots against them. Duke struggled a little bit with second chance shots, uh, you know, against teams that are just, you know, average defensive rebounding teams. For us to go up against someone like UNC, I think it's a tall order to expect Duke to, to maybe even get double figures. Uh, in terms of uh, offensive rebounds. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, I think a lot of this game may come down to Caleb Love, um, to a lesser extent, RJ Davis, but really Caleb Love. He, he is capable of, of winning the game all by himself at times. He's also at times capable of shooting them completely out of the game. Um, and, and Duke saw a little bit of that um, uh, against Arkansas with J.D. Note, who we controlled phenomenally well. I mean, J.D. Note was taking tons of shots earlier uh, in the NCAA tournament for Arkansas. And, and Duke really effectively controlled him. I think he only got, I want to say it was 15 shots, which is a lot less than he usually does um, when, when Duke played Arkansas. And one of the reasons the Arkansas offense didn't run very well was because we were doing such a good job of controlling J.D. Note. Caleb Love, to me, is a somewhat similar kind of player in that um, the ball is in his hands and they sort of go, okay, let's see what happens when you create something. And we've seen uh, against UCLA, especially, we saw Caleb Love just absolutely win the game on his own for them. And, uh, you know, I'll be really interested in seeing what Duke does in terms of matching up on him. I think it'll be a, a good bit of Wendell Moore. Yeah, streaky is what you're looking for when it comes to guys like Leaky Black and Caleb Love from beyond the arc. And I think when it comes to Duke, we've seen what we can do when we prepare for a week for a team. And the great thing is, just like we did in Chapel Hill, we have an entire week to prepare for the, for the Tar Heels and how they're going to guard them on the perimeter and how they're going to get inside and, and get things done in the paint. So I'm looking forward to that matchup because I think, again, if they are streaky, yes, that could be a problem. But I think it's also something that 
Coach K and the coaching staff have probably honed in on and have tried to figure out a way to stop it. And we'll see if it's successful on Saturday night. Going back to the game in Cameron where, uh, you know, Duke couldn't, couldn't quite stop UNC's uh, attack. One of the big changes from, from that game to this game is Duke's deployment of Jeremy Roach, who was starting to be, to play really well. He was starting to play efficiently. He only turned the ball over, I think twice against Carolina in that, in that game in, in 20 minutes, but Jeremy Roach is now playing 30, 32, 35 minutes a game. He's in the starting lineup and, and he is going to be a pest on defense as well as a scoring option on offense that he was just starting to discover when Duke last faced Carolina nearly a month ago. So if you want to look for a key in this game for Duke, I think Jay Billis mentioned to us that Paulo Bancaro is a key because because Carolina doesn't really have a guy that can guard him. Brady Manick is 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 outmanned when he's when he's matching up against Paulo Bancaro at the when when Paulo's on offense. But Jeremy Roach, I think, is the other key for Duke, where he's come on so strong recently, and and I don't know if Carolina's ready to to stay in front of him uh, on on when Jeremy Roach is attacking and he's also turned up the defensive pressure. So you hope that he's going to be disruptive to, to Davis and love at that end. Hey guys, I had a couple small stat things that I think uh, folks should be on the lookout for that are kind of interesting. Um, the first couple involve Mark Williams. Mark has a very good shot at setting a Duke blue devil NCAA tournament record for field goal percentage. He is currently 25 of 31 on field goals in the tournament. That's, um, uh, 80.6%. The all-time record is 78.8% held by none other than Christian Leitner in 1989. When Christian was a freshman, he, uh, he hit 26 out of 33 field goals. So, um, you know, if Mark, yeah, as long as Mark hits about 80% in this, in this final four, then he will set an all-time Duke record, which is kind of interesting. And Mark actually has another Duke record in his sights with one more block shot. He will set the Duke all-time NCAA tournament record for block shots in a tournament. I got a question. Can you guys guess who currently holds that record? I'm um, assuming that records related to block shots uh, go to Sheldon Williams, but also would not be surprised if Marvin Bagley held it. Oh, that's, that's no, a shame. Marvin it. Bagley, they didn't play. They only played four games. No, Marvin's not it. But I'm I'm gonna tell, Donald, I'm going to tell you, it's not Sheldon either. I said Shane Battier. And you are correct. Shane Battier, 16 block shots in the 2001 tournament, holds the current Duke record, and Mark also currently has 16 block shots. I think there's a very good chance that Mark will, will break that record. And, and, and Shane Battier in the 2001 tournament had the most memorable block in Duke history. Absolutely. Yes. Should we, yes. Can, can I, can I say that, that it's the most memorable block that he had against Arizona? I mean, it's way up there. That's for sure. I'd say it's that one. He also had one early that season against Joe Forte um, at Chapel Hill as well. Um, but I think the one against Arizona is Probably the one that takes the cake. So Mark Williams can channel the whole Shane Battier experience. I mean, if, if Mark Williams was just channeling the whole Shane Battier experience, that would be a great uh, that'd be a great thing for Duke in general. We don't win in this, if he does in this particular instance. I think that'd be awesome. And, and my last little statistical thing: um, I think all three of us had Duke in our Final Four. Correct? Right? Yeah, we did in our in our bracket picks. Um, in I, fact, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm the host of the Duke Basketball yeah, Report exactly. podcast. What am I going to do? Not pick Duke? Yeah. By the way, Sam and I both have Duke and Kansas playing in the national title. So we are still, uh, did, Sam, did you end up picking? I know we talked about it on the podcast. Did you yes. change your picture? Yeah, I, I left my, I left Wait, my I have that, that too. I have that too. I have you got that, Kansas. All three of us have that? Wow. So, mm -hmm. so all three of us doing really well with that. But I wanted to point out for everyone out there, um, 
the NCAA tracks all the major March Madness brackets and, and they, you know, they pull all the data together into sort of one pile. And they say of every bracket that people filled out across the nation, only 17.3% picked Duke to make the final four. 17.3%. We are among the elite 17.3% guys. I mean, elsewhere in my bracket picks, I'm terrible. So uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> actually, I'll, you know, I'll... I looked in the DBR bracket challenge and like all of us are, uh, you know, nationally, like uh, in, in the 80th percentile or Donald is still way up there, but Sam, you and I are both in, in the 80 plus like 85th percentile. Thanks to having Duke and Kansas. I'm getting, I'm, 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 I'm still turning in a middling performance in that. I think I've told you guys before about that bracket pool that I'm in with my friends where we pick all four of the, the men's postseason tournaments. I'm still, I'm still turning in a really middling performance. I did pick the the entire final four correctly in uh, in the TBC tournament, which is the uh, which is the, the the lowest level tournament, the one that you've never heard of. Sam, I'm telling you, I couldn't even begin to tell you who is in the final four of that tournament. So we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the emails a little bit because we have gotten a ton of great emails from you, the listeners, this week. Stick around. Welcome back. We are going to obviously keep talking about, about the upcoming Duke Carolina game, but we we have to get into the mailbag because the the listeners, you the listeners, have come up extremely strongly this week. Uh, our best our best week of receiving emails ever. So, Jason, I'm going to hand it to you to to read off a couple of the emails that we've gotten that have been uh, just just awesome this week. And I would before I, I give it to you, Jason, let me just say that if you have these great thoughts, it would be also fun if you shared them on the DBR forum because. Uh, sure. lots of good conversation there. So, uh, don't waste, ever, don't waste all the good content on us. Just, just give us the, a, a good trickle. Okay. So I got a whole ton of these and it's just some of it, like you said, it's just so fabulous. And by the way, one of them, the first one I'm going to do is a headline from the Arkansas game. I, I like this one so much, even though that, you know, we put that aside, but Dwayne Lloyd sent this one after we recorded and it was, he said the headline was Duke as sharp as razor back in the final four razor back see what he did there so i really like that headline from Dwayne lloyd but what i really wanted to do here was talk about the people people who had written to us talking about the emotions around playing unc in the final four because that's something every single one of us duke fans are dealing with right now um and i'll start with an email we got from josh dial and he said after the final regular season game i struggled for days about how to ask my girlfriend who i live with if she could be anywhere but home if Duke and UNC play again. And he said at the time he was thinking about the ACC title game, but he, he knew that he couldn't be in the same room with her. And after Duke beat Miami, he said, I let her know if Carolina won that night and we played in the ACC finals, I needed to ask her to leave the apartment. So obviously that didn't happen, but now the final four has happened. And so Josh said that he let his girlfriend know it's happening. The stakes are higher than they literally ever have been before. And so she's taking their dog and going to a friend's house for the evening so that Josh will be all alone in his house to scream, cry, celebrate, and not have to worry about anyone watching and judging him. And for that, he says, she is the real MVP. I love that, guys. <laughs> some, uh, some relationships are built different, you know? <laughs> I think for that, right, like, there's something to be said. Some people want to watch this game alone, but guys, I'm a guy that like, 
I don't want to watch a game necessarily by myself. There may be some games where my best friends aren't available. So I'll watch it at home. But like the preference is always to watch with people that you know that you're already going to be talking about the game with in the, in the way that we talk about the game. So I think that's like kind of how I lean, but I know some people who are like, yo, don't talk to me for two hours. Don't come see me. Don't holler at me. Turn the phone off and like literally just watches the game in, in a dark room somewhere. And then they emerge two hours later and they go, okay, discuss. All right. So on to our next email. Um, this is from Eric Lundgren and uh, Eric said, no one wanted to be here. The risk benefit of this game <laughs> is entirely out of whack and should never happen. And yet, here we are, locked and loaded. He said, I think of this as basketball Armageddon because like the classic ben, uh, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck film, we can all see the asteroid coming and there's nothing we can do to avoid it. So, Eric says, what, what are the reasons to look forward to this game? He thinks that Duke has a real mindset advantage. He says, our guys were embarrassed in Cameron. It was, at the time, the most important basketball moment in their lives, and they failed to meet the moment. They were embarrassed in front of a huge TV audience and probably more, more pressing to them, more than 100 Duke basketball legends sitting courtside. But in that situation, the game was like an afterthought, and the players were like passengers to the spectacle that was going on. They will get their chance at redemption now. They want this game more than UNC wants this game. It is an even bigger stage. And all UNC is thinking is that they run the risk of their crowning achievement of this season being wiped away. The bottom line is UNC is afraid and Duke wants it more than they do. And then Eric added one other thing that I thought was interesting. He said, every year when the brackets come out, I, the first thing I look at is Duke's path to the final four. And then the second thing I do is I figure out what would have to happen for Duke and UNC to meet in the final four, because he said, I've, I've always feared this moment. He said, I've always hoped it wouldn't happen, but I always think about, and this, guys, this is what I want you all to concentrate on. Is this a good year or a bad year for the ultimate, for Armageddon to happen? He said, as much as it pains me, there are some years where UNC clearly has more talent. And in those years, the thought of Duke playing in the NCAA tournament petrifies me. But this year, he said, if there's ever a good time to happen, this is the one. We are far more talented. We are far more tested. We are playing better than they are. Put it another way, he said, hold your nose, pretend you're a Tar Heel fan for just a moment. With eternal bragging rights on the line, is this the matchup you would want? No way in hell. There's a pretty big imbalance in talent between these two programs. Duke has five, six NBA players on their roster. North Carolina, no one's sure if they even have one. So he said to a certain extent, even though the Duke-UNC game is something that no one wants, the talent advantage makes me think this is the year we want it to happen. And I also think this, and this is why I said one of the intangibles is the pressure. This game happening this year with these stakes, with what's riding on the line as regards to advance to the championship game, Coach K's potential last game, all of those things, means that there will never be something of this magnitude ever again. And that's, I think that's the thing is, Again, the pressure has been building for Duke all year. We've had to deal with this pressure every single game. It's always the last game for Coach K at some, it, something or somewhere. This pressure is now reaching the doorstep of UNC, and I question whether they're being able to handle it. I, I mean, honestly, they, they probably could, but the question now is can they handle it? Because we've seen time and time again so far during this tournament, knock on wood, 
that Duke has been able to answer that bell every single time or just about every single time. So that's why I think that this Armageddon, yes, it's, it's on a magnitude that we've never seen. And I don't think it will ever approach this level again, unless we have, you know, John Shire go 42 years win five, six national championships and have another swan song in at the end of his career. I don't know. I feel like I would take uh, 2001 or 2010 as as better years for Duke to have played Carolina in the in the NCAA tournament, but that's just me. The, no, I guess 2010 they didn't make it. So in 2010 they weren't there. So I guess you couldn't have that. All right. So the the last email I wanted to read, um, uh, we got just this afternoon from uh, Romulus Buckshank. By the way, what a great name, Romulus Buckshank. I love that. Anyway, you all should have better names because you're not. Because you're not. I'm gonna uh, be honest. I'm going to be honest. I thought that was fake for a minute. Like when I first read it, I thought it was fake. That, yeah. Too good to be true. Sorry, Romulus. Yeah, too good to be true. Exactly. So Romulus said he's been dreaming. He's been dreaming about Duke basketball a lot lately. And last Wednesday night, he had the funniest and also the most for, foreseeing dream. He was on a road trip in his dream with Coach K, just him and the goat. And he said, I remember getting in the car and Coach K saying, hurry up, man. We got to get going. What are you doing? We got to get there. And I kept reassuring him that we'd get there in time. And I kept insisting that he'd take a nap and rest up because he needed his energy and stuff. So I told my brother about the dream, Romulus said. And he said, where were you and Coach K going? Were you driving to the Final Four? And Romulus said, God, you know, it was a dream. He didn't really remember. Then he realized that they'd been driving through Amarillo, Texas, which is the town he's originally from. And so Romulus plugged. He's currently in San Francisco. He plugged San Francisco and New Orleans into Google Maps, and sure enough, the path to drive from San Francisco to New Orleans takes you right through Amarillo, Texas. So Romulus said, you know what? In my dream, I was dreaming of me and Coach K going to the Final Four. Again, he had this dream two weeks ago. So he said he's had a good feeling about the season ever since then. Should we be like having uh, Romulus back on the, like, on the show to, to do like Nostradamus? style predictions with us it just feels maybe so <laughs> yeah this is this seems like almost almost too epic to be true i had guys i had one more that i wanted to read it's, it's back on a on a topic we were talking about earlier i feel like we've we've touched on it in a couple different ways but listener lucas emailed us recently and said hey guys uh wanted to get your opinion if you think the loss in cameron against us unc this year actually will help us going into the final four game or do you think we'd be in me even more confident if we had won that game instead and uh, I, I think we addressed this a little bit with Jay Billis, but um, yes, I think that that Duke losing that game to UNC was um, was a perfect lead-in to, uh, to to this Final Four game. There is no reason for the team to get you know out overly excited about this game because they know that Carolina can beat the crap out of them if they are you know if they're hitting their shots and 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 Duke is not. So, um, yeah, I think this was I, I think that was great for Duke taking taking your lumps earlier in the season can only help you later. I am of the belief I'm one of these people who, uh, <laughs> to some extent, subscribes to the multiverse view of these kind of things that there are that if you change one little thing, the ripple effects uh, are, are unknown. So uh, if, you, if I'm looking at a, a Duke Final Four season, uh, a Duke National Championship, hopefully season. If you say to me, oh, what if we change this one thing? Wouldn't that make it better? I'm going to always say no, because, because if you change that one thing, then maybe where we are today doesn't happen. If, if Duke beats UNC 
in in Cameron, maybe Duke's seed is different, and we run into a different team somewhere in the turn in the NCAA tournament. If Duke beats UNC and Cameron in that last game, you know maybe the guys don't don't listen quite as much to what the coaches are telling them about what they need to work on. There are a million different possibilities. So, uh, would I rather we'd won that game? Sure, of course, I'd rather do, this Duke team was currently undefeated. I mean, are you kidding me? That's a no brainer. But on the other hand, I wouldn't trade it, not for a moment, because. I, we are exactly where we want to be. And as Jay Billis told us when we spoke to him, as, as we've said numerous times, this Duke team appears to be playing its best basketball this season. And a lot of people think that this team is now the favorite to win the national title and they're playing in the final four. I would not change a single thing that's happened up until this moment. So guys, that'll do it for this episode. We will be back later this week to just have <laughs> more reactions and thoughts. Uh, happy to read more emails if, if they come in, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. So we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. As we said, Jason and I are going to be uh, headed down to New Orleans for the game. So maybe we will see you there. I would say that we could do like some kind of meetup, but I feel like the whole event is just a big meetup. Like it's just, it's just everybody from everybody from Duke fandom uh, that, that is insane enough to, to spend the kind of money that you need to spend to be there is doing it. So uh, if, if you're among that group, maybe you'll, maybe you'll see us walking around. Hey, hey actually. And uh, so, so people, if you want to try and find us, just look for uh, a guy us. in his fifties um, with, with slightly graying hair and, and a guy in his thirties with a full beard, but no hair on his head. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there'll be no one that looks like us. Uh, just, just look the for the guys in the Duke jerseys. We'll be yeah. the only two Jewish people in the whole building. Yeah, I, I doubt that. Yeah, I'll probably, <laughs> be wearing, I'll probably be wearing my Grant Hill jersey. Actually, I, I wore my Grant Hill jersey for the, the Carolina game in Cameron. So that has some bad mojo on it now. I think I'm going to switch to my Zion Williamson jersey, jersey for this one. Whatever, whatever you which do, you Jason. Did bring, which you did bring to Chapel or to Durham, but you didn't wear. You decided right. to bring a one. Switch it up. Yep. Whatever, up. whatever makes, you feel, makes you feel comfortable and good, Jason, that's what you should do. So, all right. That was episode 410 of the DBR podcast. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again this week, I think at least one more time before this game tips off on Saturday. But Hey, hey Sam, not yes. Duke Band. I got some other music for us here. Let's oh, play some New uh, Orleans music to take us home. Who's, uh, who's, who's playing us out today, Jason? Uh, I don't know their name. It was uh, just some great New Orleans free music that I found. <laughs> All right. Well, Hopefully uh, it's Rebirth Brass Band. I was going to say, is it Preservation Hall? Um, so Preservation Hall would be great. Yeah, Jason. Well, no, the, put, see, uh, those things all cost money. This was free. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that Prez Hall Jazz Band would have would have let us have this one, right? I mean, they're cool. So who knows? All right. So with that, whoever's playing us out with the uh, with the with the sound of New Orleans, take us home. We'll talk to you again very soon. Go Duke.